to me, it's a lot about creativity. If you think about, I always think of the orchestra, which every instrument plays their own little part, but it isn't until you bring it all together that you hear the beauty and the richness of music, right? And engineering is the same way. You might have your own little widget, your own little piece of code or whatever, but it isn't until you bring the whole system together where it's moving all together that you start to appreciate the beauty and the power of what that technology does. Welcome to Manufacturing Happy Hour, the podcast where we get real about the latest trends and technologies impacting modern manufacturers. Each week, we interview industry experts that are at the top of their craft and give you the tools, tactics and strategies you need to take your career and your business to the next level. And now your host, Chris Lukey. What's up, folks? Welcome to this week's episode. I'm excited for this one today. We're going to be heading back to my alma mater, Marquette University, to discuss how engineering programs like the one at Marquette are changing the face of engineering and preparing the next generation of leaders for the workforce. Our guest today is the Dean of the Opus College of Engineering at Marquette, Dr. Chris Rapella, who brings a ton of her own experiences and forward-thinking perspectives to thoroughly cover this topic. Now, when I say the changing face of engineering, I know that sounds a little vague right off the bat, but I think back to my time when I was studying to become an engineer about 10 years ago and just how much that field has changed since then. First of all, automation, whether we're talking software or robotics, is doing a lot of the things that engineers used to learn how to do. Beyond that, engineering appears to continue to become more and more creative. And also, if you look at it, it's a far more diverse industry than it used to be. So we're going to get into all of these topics in just a little bit. But obviously, I was excited to travel back to my old stomping grounds for this episode. And while some things are somewhat Marquette-centric, pretty much everything we discuss is transferable to education as a whole. So if you're a leader in the manufacturing sector or the technology space in general, I think you're going to get a lot out of this episode. So, with that, what are three things you can expect from today's show? Well, first, we're going to talk about going beyond the idea of the obedient engineer. Dr. Ropella will define that a bit more and discuss how leadership for both people and innovation is critical and where we're seeing that at Marquette and beyond. We're also going to hear some of her own story as well about what got her into engineering. Second, we're going to talk about the parallels between art, dancing, and creativity and how those align with engineering and technology. We get into Dr. Rapella's own experiences in the arts, and we'll also get into some of her own best practices on things she does to stay sharp as a leader. Third, we'll talk about continuing education and manufacturing and her thoughts on how the industry can attract the next generation to the workforce. This includes the type of actions and courageous conversations that need to occur to make the manufacturing sector a more inclusive place. Now, whether you're tuning in for the first time or you've been listening for the first few episodes, I do have a call to action for you. If you listen to this episode and you love it, I'd like it if you could go over to iTunes and leave a five-star rating and review. The reviews are really most important. It's easy to go on there and pop a five-star rating on there. But if you can take the time to write a one-sentence review, that really goes a long way to getting the show on the map and getting this in the ears of more manufacturing leaders that are looking to make a difference in this industry. All you have to do is go to manufacturinghappyhour.com slash iTunes to get taken to iTunes either on your phone or on your computer to leave your rating and review. Thank you so much. Hope to see you there. And with that, it's time to get this episode rolling today. In true manufacturing happy hour fashion, we're going to head on down to my old college bar, Caffrey's Pub on Marquette's campus, where we're going to sit down with Dr. Chris Rapella in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. All right, well, if you want to grab your water real quick, I figure we'll do a cheers with... Oh, uh, wait for the beer. Okay, well, all right. That? Yeah, that's, that's a good call. We wouldn't, we wouldn't want to jinx it by doing a cheers with water. I like that style. So, well, thank you for jumping on Manufacturing Happy Hour today, Dr. Rapella. Thank you, Chris, for having me. I'm, I enjoy being here. I was... Uh, and, and just to set the stage for people that are listening out there, we're actually not at the College of Engineering. We're down the street, half a block away at Caffrey's, the local campus pub. 
Yes, it's a favorite among students and even faculty and staff. I was going to say, when I was thinking about a good spot to do the interview, because I graduated in 09, so I didn't actually get to spend any time in the new engineering building aside from coming back. But I'm like, I certainly spent a little bit of time at Caffrey's Pub while I was going <laughs> through school. So it was usually a Friday afternoon after a day of stressful back-to-back -back tests that uh, we would make our way over here to decompress. And that's important, right? I, we all have our different study spaces. Um, I always say, some t I can tell you that for me personally, I didn't study best in a library. It was really, mm -hmm. I prefer actually to sit in the middle of a, you know, a coffee shop or a cafeteria yeah. with lots of background noise and chatter that it just helps me to focus. It's funny that you mentioned that because I was uh, the bridge um, at Rayner Library where if you're not familiar with Marquette for anyone out there, it's a basically connection between the old library and the new library that was, I guess, completed in the early 2000s and whatnot. But it was a really social. It was not meant to be like the hush-hush area. It was like the, I always did work better with background noise. Me too. I think the creative juices just flow better when there's other things going in the environment. People watching helps with that sometimes. Sometimes mm -hmm. you're just off kind of staring in the space. I, I prefer to have sort of life around me as I'm thinking and writing and reading. Absolutely. Well, before we get too far, I want to make sure I give you a proper introduction today. So for our audience out there, our guest today is a longtime professor of biomedical engineering who has dove deep into areas like signal processing and functional magnetic resonance imaging in her research. She has earned her PhD at Northwestern University, but before that, she completed her undergraduate journey at Marquette University, where she is now the dean of the Opus College of Engineering. Ladies and gentlemen, we are joined today by an extraordinary enabler of the next generation of engineers, Dr. Chris Rapella. Thank you, Chris. And now that we have our beers here, we can yes, do a proper we cheers. <laughs> Welcome. Thank you. Mm. So while we're sipping, if you are looking to connect with the College of Engineering or Dr. Rapella, you can find uh, both on Twitter at MU Engineering or at Dean Rapella MU. And that's R O P E L L A, correct? Correct. All right. Those are the Twitter handles for you. Now, one of the things we do on Manufacturing Happy Hour, one of the goals is to make manufacturing more approachable, current, cool, and technology in general. Same type of thing for that. And I threw out a big term there, functional magnetic resonance imaging. For anyone that might not be familiar with that, you know, let's pretend we're hanging out at a bar, theoretically. How would you explain that to someone that's looking for an intro to that for the first time? I think that's a great question. And it does, that conversation comes up quite often mm -hmm. for me. And how do we make this um, approachable to people who maybe aren't in the industry? So functional magnetic resonance imaging is really a form of medical imaging mm -hmm. that uses is what we call magnetic resonance energy. Okay, mm -hmm. so it uses magnetic fields. Uh, and so um, magnetic resonance imaging has been around for several decades in terms of imaging, whether it's muscle, brain, uh, oftentimes soft tissue in the body. Mm -hmm. um, the functional part came about around the, around the early 1990s when people figured out that they could do magnetic resonance imaging in a way that we could actually observe brain function, not just brain structure. So up mm -hmm. until that point, if you image the brain, you would see things like um, the different lobes of the brain. You actually see anatomy more than anything. And you could okay. see a tumor or, you know, structural type stuff. Mm -hmm. But when functional came around, you could put somebody in the magnet and you can have them do things like look at something on a screen or listen to auditory music or sounds okay. or do something tactile with their fingers. And while you were doing that, you could take a bunch of images in sequence, almost like if you were running a movie reel. Yeah. And you could take images, like let's say every couple of seconds, and then you could play those images almost like like a reel of movie, and you could see changes in the images over time. Oh, okay. And that would allow you to see parts of the brain where those parts of the brain that are processing the visual information or the mm -hmm. auditory information would actually show changes in signals as the brain was responding to those changes. So okay. you can think of it, you know, people used to take the, you know, they used to have like a little deck of cards with something in the corner and the drawing changes from card to card. And as you flip it, you would see the animation, right? Yep. It's the same idea is that you're actually kind of looking at brain images animated over time. And then you look for those parts of the image where things are changing and most likely it's correlated to whatever activity you're doing. And so you're really seeing brain activity in real time Correct. is what I'm hearing. Okay. Correct. Versus like the structural aspects, which you could previously see. Correct. Before that. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, that was, that was an example I could understand okay, at good. a bar. That's, I guess, <laughs> I'd like to say my Marquette engineering degree has helped to continue yeah. to, to in, in those capacities, but you've been in biomedical engineering for a long time. Long time. I, I'm curious, why did you go into engineering to begin with? Cause I think one thing that's interesting about 
about your full circle is you started as an undergrad here and now you're the dean of the College of Engineering, but why engineering? Why in the first engineering? Place? I think that's a great question. I did not growing up grow up thinking anything about engineering. Like mm-hmm. most, I think people had lots of different dreams as a child. Everything from being an mm-hmm. interior designer to a ballet dancer to sure. at one point in high school, think about architecture. I used to love to draw and art, and and I loved architecture. Um, but as I was leaving high school, um, I was a good student. So of course, in those days, if you were a good student, it was like, well, go to medical school or law school. Um, and I started thinking about going to medical school. I was mm-hmm. a medical show junkie. And mm-hmm. so I used to love watching those kinds of things. I love the problem solving that was going on in medicine. Yeah. And so I was planning to go pre-med and I needed a major. Um, I loved chemistry. I loved math. But those majors didn't quite appeal to me. And it was really my mother who came home and brought home a brochure from her friend about biomedical engineering. Mm-hmm. Marquette was one of the few schools in the country that actually offered such a major. So mm-hmm. honestly, I opened the brochure. I looked at the curriculum. A lot of different science, a lot of math, only one year of English, and no history. That was my major. Got it. Okay. <laughs> so right. I knew nothing about engineering, and that's yeah. how I picked my major. I would think very differently today, by the way, about the sure. history and English, but that's how I picked it, um, knowing nothing about engineering. But during my four years as an undergrad, I really started to love the engineering classes. I mm-hmm. love the problem-solving aspect of it and the application of math and science to being able to address problems and really create technologies that, whether it was fix health issues or whatever it might be. So. Mm-hmm. Toward the end of my undergrad, um, although I applied to, me- I was a, I took my medical school entrance exams, was applying to medical schools. I had an internship at a company called Marquette Electronics. Okay. Mike Cudahy is one of Milwaukee's philanthropists. Yeah. Yeah. Ran that company mm-hmm. at the time. Um, and I had the good fortune of having two summer internships there. And while I was there, I spent a lot of time in the hospital environments, in cardiac mm-hmm. care and intensive care units. Um, comparing Marquette monitors to the Hewlett Packard monitors and how they performed. But during that time, during those summers, I spent a lot of time watching physicians and talking with medical students and watching nurses and doctors. And I realized by the end of my first summer, after my junior year, that I really wasn't that interested in the day-to-day patient care. That's not who I was. Okay. I really enjoyed being side-by-side with the doctors developing new technologies, thinking mm-hmm. about technologies, as opposed to day-to-day patient care. So that's when I thought, mm, I don't think medical school is for me. I'd prefer to just stay in engineering and think about how I advance my knowledge in that area so that I could actually develop the technologies that were so important to healthcare. Yeah. One, uh, one thing I love about that story and that I love about having an engineering degree in general is it opens so many doors. Like you can think you're going one path and then you can easily go another. It's a degree that ultimately prepares you for problem solving and navigating complex waters. It is a great degree, right? It's a great springboard for so many careers. Mm-hmm. And um, I think even now, as we think about engineering in the future, it yeah. really is around that mindset yep. of, you know, engineers go into all kinds of different professions. So mm-hmm. while some might do traditional work, others are going to go on to own their own business. They're going into sales. They're going into law. They're going to medical school. Right. And that problem-solving mindset is so mm-hmm. important to all of these fields. Well, that's uh, that's really related to my next question because you were talking about how when you were going through the brochure, the degree, checked certain boxes or maybe more importantly, it, the boxes it didn't check were what got you into it. But what do you think inspires people today to start an engineering degree? or go down that path? I think it's this idea. I think, first of all, young people are much more informed about the idea of engineering, uh, what engineers do, because K-12 schools and programs have been so much more proactive about doing STEM programming and teaching kids about engineering at a much earlier age. Mm-hmm. But I think what really excites them is this idea of they can actually solve the world's problems, right? They don't yeah. have to just sit around and talk about it. You actually have the skills, the knowledge, experience to really solve real problems. I think people yeah. are motivated, whether it's about environmental issues or the next greatest car or airplane or mm-hmm. uh, computer and artificial intelligence. I think they see it as empowering and a way to really make do good for the world. Hopefully, as a market engineer, do good for the world and use yeah. use those talents to make the world a better place. There, There's a lot to unpack and go into in that answer. I think the first spot I'm going to jump to is I mentioned you're an enabler of the next generation of engineers. I'm curious, being in academia, you really get to see how people develop through that four-year process or that graduate process as well, too. But what does the engineer of the future look like? And maybe I'll put it in terms I've heard you use before on other interviews, the changing face of engineering. Go into that a little bit. Yeah. Um, you know, really our, our sort of our strategic priorities as a college is about changing the face of engineering. Mm-hmm. And there are really three aspects of that. 
first is changing the face of people who come into the engineering profession, who are participating in the engineering mm -hmm. profession. Um, we say if we are truly going to be innovative as a profession, we need to represent people from all walks of life. You know, mm -hmm. people with different experiences, backgrounds, knowledge, different lenses on the world. Bring them all together because it's when you bring those many different viewpoints and um, disciplines together that innovation truly happens. It doesn't happen when you're only with people who think, look, and act exactly like yourself. So yep. if we're going to be innovative, we need to represent people from all walks of life. We all also say if we truly want to serve the world, we need to look more like the world we serve. So that's part of that. And sure. so we're trying to, we do a lot of things around scholarship development, outreach mm -hmm. programming, and student success programming in the college to enable a much more diverse spectrum of people to come into engineering and be engineers. Mm -hmm. The second piece of it is um, changing the face of our graduates. Uh, we don't need the obedient engineer of the past. Mm -hmm. Most of the obedient stuff that engineers did. I love that term. Mm -hmm. that's, that's Most of the obedient stuff, which you know too well from some of the classes you took and the things right. you had to do, have, you know, a lot of that is being done by computers and AI and other yeah. systems. So engineers won't necessarily be doing that. I think the engineer yep. of the future needs greater business acumen. They mm -hmm. need to have an entrepreneurial mindset. They need to be more innovative and creative. Um, they need to be risk takers. Who knows mm -hmm. what's coming down in the world and it moves at a really fast pace. So we need mm -hmm. people who are really comfortable with being uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. So I think the more we give students that experience in the classroom to fail and to fail quick and to move on and to keep going is a really important aspect. And then because of our Jesuit tradition at Marquette, I think another piece of that is that our graduates will go out and be really ethical leaders. Mm -hmm. And I talk and be servant leaders. So their mindset is my job is to be a servant leader and to enable to pe people around me to be truly successful and do it in a very ethical way. So mm -hmm. I hope that our graduates, when they're out in that workplace and they are always saying just because we can do it doesn't mean we should do it. Mm -hmm. And they're also not afraid to stand up for, you know, what's just and what's right in terms of things that are happening. And we all see examples every day in corporate America and even academic settings of right. how ethics has kind of slid out the door as mm -hmm. people sort of justify things in terms of money or power or um, rank, whatever it might be. And so I hope the Marquette engineer takes a different lens on that. Mm -hmm. And the third piece of it is really changing the face of our college and the way the world looks at us. Does the world look at our mm -hmm. college as being global, entrepreneurial, collaborative, innovative, um, entrepreneurial risk-taking. And so really thinking about how do we behave as a college mm -hmm. um, and what's the culture of our college, right? Yeah. You've heard that expression, you know, culture eats strategy for lunch. Mm -hmm. Everybody know most organizations are we're very aware of that, and there's an intentional focus on on cultures in organizations, and a lot of it has to do with leadership. And so, yes, one of the things we are focusing very intentionally on our college is leadership and leadership development, uh -huh. and our students, and our faculty, and our staff, and that's very consistent with the Jesuit idea of mm -hmm. we are all leaders. Yes, um, mm -hmm. but it requires intentional development. We don't leave it just up to chance. Mm -hmm. I'm going to go into the leadership topic a little bit more on that. I'm curious because you've been you've been the dean for four years now, correct? Mm -hmm, going into my fifth year. Mm -hmm. How have you seen things change and seen leadership and getting people to go beyond being the obedient engineer? How have you seen that build into the curriculum or how have you just seen that change within the fabric of Marquette during your time as dean so far? That's a great question. I think within the college, we've been very intentional about it in terms mm -hmm. of the language that we use and what we're expecting our staff, our faculty, our students to behave as, as a community and mm -hmm. um, as I've often said to my faculty and staff are um, you know you're all leaders and it's not okay for any one of you to sit back and wait for everybody else to make change and make things happen so yeah. everybody plays a role but then let's also respect each person for their role and what they're doing and that it doesn't matter your title your name where you come from that we are all part of this um, this system that is trying to do good things is particularly along the lines of developing our workforce for the future and student development and student learning and mm -hmm. how does research play into that? How does our formal education play to it? How does our service work play into that? And so we are doing it. I mean, everybody in the college is doing, you know, reading books and doing workshops around, you know, leadership development, their own individual assessments mm -hmm. of what are my strengths? What is my disc? What is my, um, yeah. you know, some of those profiling things in yep. terms of who am I and how do I recognize how I'm different from my neighbor and how that affects mm -hmm. our relationships with each other. So I think starting at the very top, expectations for how we relate to other people in our college and how we're going to treat them. Mm -hmm. From a student perspective, we developed a formal program called ELEAD, which is, stands for Engineers okay. in the Lead. Yep. We started this about five years ago. Intentionally, mm -hmm. we raised money to do it. We bring in about a cohort of 20 students each year. 
Okay. So in their sophomore year, they can apply for it. We have a formal application process. Mm-hmm. We have industry folks help us select those cohorts. Great. And we bring them in, and they have a three-year program. Each year has a theme. So the first year theme is leading oneself. Okay. The second year is leading with others. And I emphasize mm-hmm. with in the Jesuit tradition of servant leadership. Right. And the third is leading innovation and technology. So that's layered on top of these other things. Yeah. It really is, has been a great program. We've had over 100 graduates so far. Um, uh, we are tracking our graduates and talking to their mm-hmm. employers and, you know, what, what are the outcomes? Does it make a difference? It's been a very powerful program. And because of that program, I think we um, have really put or had a great influence uh, on new programs in faculty leadership development on campus. So we've mm-hmm. had some input in that and sort of driven the formation of some of those leadership programs. Mm-hmm. HR is also running leadership programs now for supervisors. Oh, wow. And mm-hmm. our director, Kate Tree, VM industry of our, mm-hmm. she directs our engineering leadership programs, yeah. has had a voice in those programs as well in terms of how mm-hmm. those are being structured. So leadership is one of Marquette's four pillars. Right. And for 20-some years that I've been here, there was no formal really development about that. Now I think sure. everyone's saying, no, it, it is... There is a real science and art to leadership development, and it needs to be intentional. It shouldn't yeah. just be by accident. And, you know, I mean, for mm-hmm. years, engineers are often within five to ten years are put into management leadership positions. Mm-hmm. And many of them fail miserably because nobody ever gave them any tools, education, mm-hmm. training on how to do that. Mm-hmm. And I've heard the stories from many of my engineering friends in the industry, the nightmares. And so why do we wait till people have been out ten years? Why do you have to learn by trial and error. Why can't you do some programming as an undergraduate to learn about these things? Yeah. What I love about that and a parallel I see between Marquette and I guess the manufacturing industry in general is a lot of times these conversations, which could be very technology centric, really turn to a human element. It's really all about the human engagement, how you work well with others. I think I had another um, individual on the show before mentioning that at the end of the day, when you drill down any problem, it's usually interacting people within people and yeah. whatnot versus like the technology itself or the implementation of that. It's so. so true. And when you think about when industries fail or a company fails, it's not usually because of the lack of technical expertise. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's usually poor leadership, poor business decisions and poor culture. Right. And so right. we should address those things because we know particularly many engineers are going to end up in leadership positions or leading their own companies, whatever it might be. And the people piece is the hardest piece. I always liked mm-hmm. a kid that leadership would be easy if it weren't for the people. Yeah. I, right. <laughs> right. Right. I say the same thing about my customers <laughs> right. and sales sometimes. My job would be so, so easy, easy if it weren't for my darn right. customers. Right. People, people are complex and it's beautiful that, you know, every individual is different and humans are created in, with, in such complex diverse uh, you know, mm-hmm. spectrum. It's great. It's the beauty of it. But it's also what makes it really challenging when you're trying mm-hmm. to lead people through change and motivate large groups of people to move in a certain direction. Yeah. Well, I think it's really cool that you've implemented that like the E-Lead. And, and uh, for anyone listening, I'll have links to all of this in the show notes. Because when I was going through Marquette, there was always that leadership emphasis, but I feel like it was more emphasized in areas outside of the School of Engineering, like being on the Marquette University student government, leading in extracurriculars, and that can include engineering extracurriculars. And yeah. But no, I've, I've, I've kind of peripherally seen that development um, yeah. since I've left. Do you think other schools are doing that? Do you think that's a trend across academia where people are saying, you know what, engineering is just as much about the leadership as it is about the technology? I think a number of, I mean, many schools, engineering schools across the country are talking more and more about how engineers are serving society and mm-hmm. making the world better. That's something, as a yeah. Jesuit school, we've talked about a long time. They're starting to put words on that when they can. We're mm-hmm. lucky. We're a faith-based institution where we can be very um, forward and outright about talking sure. about these things, mm-hmm. which is a benefit because I think mm-hmm. our employers tell us they want to hear that language. They want students to be prepared in those ways. Um, I think a number of your um, Catholic schools in particular talk a lot about the leadership aspect. I think mm-hmm. they see that as a as a role and a responsibility to society. And so I, I think there are, we know that there are the American Society of Electrical Engineering now has a division um, called Engineering Leadership where they're looking for people to, we've been there at conferences to talk about what we're doing, to write papers about it, and really think about how do we infuse much more of that into the engineering curriculum more intentionally than whatever was done in the past. Love that. You know, going on that topic, kind of another direction that you mentioned in, in your previous comment about the engineering of the future and preparing people for the workforce, you mentioned things are getting more automated. The things that engineers were hired to do even five or 10 years ago, 
there's some software or there's some hardware automation to take care of that. And being in manufacturing, we see that all the time. I'm curious, you know, we talked about the leadership element. Are there te- are there technical elements that that are changing within education in terms of curriculum and preparation for the real world? Yeah, boy, that's an excellent question. Um, Higher education is undergoing um, feeling a lot of pressure from all different directions Mm -hmm. now, whether it's the cost, whether it's um, technology using mm-hmm. the inside and outside the classroom, how we deliver education, what do young people want these days, what are people willing to pay for, how do they yeah. use technology to learn. So um, there are a lot of, the, the winds of higher education are blowing strong and there's going mm-hmm. to be a lot of disruption. There already is in the next 10 to 20 years and mm-hmm. it's going to be, and we are all kind of just standing there going, where do we go with this? How sure. do we prepare for it? Mm-hmm. Um, we know the old ways are no longer going to learn and so you've mm-hmm. already seen online education already occurs and what does that mean and, mm-hmm. and and blended education and um, some, you know, faculty have flipped their classrooms. Students want to watch the lectures offline and then come to class and just do active learning in class. And so we think about that. Oh, that would be cool. Yeah. (laughs) We're doing more and more like of that active learning, project-based learning, challenge-based learning. And we're doing a lot more to bring industry practice into the classroom projects and homework too so that students aren't just practicing on book examples and imaginary examples that they are Mm -hmm. actually seeing that real world challenges are hard. In fact, that's where engineering really happens, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, theory only goes so far. And yeah. when theory no longer works, that's when real engineering happens, right? right? Like yes. you say, okay, I have these constraints. I have these limitations. The laws of whatever it is fixed don't work here. Right. Now, how do I design? And now, how yeah. do I create? And that's where innovation really is called upon. Yeah. So how do we give students that experience at a much younger age to deal with those challenges and know that there is no right answer? Mm-hmm. You are going to fail. You got to get back up. And also, when is good, good enough? You know, yes. in a company... <laughs> No product is ever perfect. Wait till it's perfect. It's never going to get out the door. Exactly. Right? Yep. So the whole decision of when is going to good enough and how do you design something that people are going to pay for, the customer really needs, the customer really wants. Mm-hmm. Sometimes the customer doesn't even know what they want. So you're working together to figure yeah. out what that is. Um, and so I think our education needs to be... Um, needs to expose students much more to that environment where it's right. not about getting the perfect answer and getting the A mm-hmm. plus, right? Um, mm-hmm. Because that's not how you really work. The other right. thing we need to do is really think about multidisciplinary education. So okay. our engineering students want more, want more business acumen. They want to work on teams with business students mm-hmm. and even sociology, sociology students and maybe nursing students. And that's the way the real world works. You d- Rarely should you just have engineers working only within themselves. And so how do we give them an opportunity Uh, in their undergraduate experience um, to work across different um, disciplines. And Marquette's new core curriculum that started about two years ago is really designed to be about that, where students will learn things, even about theology and philosophy and ethics and that kind of thing, but in the context of some real global challenges and Mm -hmm. with teams of people from different disciplines. So you can see that, well, a sociologist looks at this different than the economic student, different from the engineering student, and yet you all have all of those are real constraints that you have to work on to come up with some solutions. Yeah, what's fun about that is I've I've heard you use the term putting theory into practice, which I feel like really summarizes everything you just mentioned. Where there's not necessarily the right answer, like you're working within a time constraint, a budget constraint. I I remember when I was a student here when I was doing our capstone senior design project, there was a portion called like the customer feedback portion where you're trying to figure out what the customer wants out of your project. And the ironic thing was that was probably the part of the process that most people slacked on because they're like, that's not important. We're the engineers. We're going to, we're going to design this great thing and I'm sure they're going to like it, whatever it is. So I assume you've probably seen that change over the years too, where that's taken very seriously now. You and you've said it very, very well. That's exactly mm-hmm. right. Too often the engineers didn't really care what the customers said. Mm-hmm. I've just got this cool whiz bing technology, yeah. great. And you know what? It sits on a shelf from where it's either too expensive, it, yeah. the user can't use it, whatever. So the emphasis very much now in all of our design courses is it's all about the customer. What's yeah. their need? What do they want? You need to listen to that. And that's what drives everything. And I think most of your products that you use out in the world are a testament mm-hmm. to that, right? I mean, For sure. people introduce new things. If no one really, who cares that you've added on this whiz bang feature that costs $300 more mm-hmm. if no one's going to use it, right? And so there's much more attention, I think, to the customer piece, which means that your marketing people, your ergonomics people, your engineers all have to be in dialogue all the time about these things. 
mm-hmm. have the and meet with the customers regularly and get customer feedback um, on that. The same thing that your engineers also have to pay attention to manufacturing. So I love to always bring mm-hmm. up a story of one of my senior design teams. The engineer is designing off in a corner and doesn't pay attention to the fact that you can't manufacturing something of a certain size or a certain material, right. whatever it might be, right? So yep. I had a senior design team that was working for another company, really smart team, very talented students, um, and they had to do some electronic board layout. And my husband is a harder design guy. So mm-hmm. he would set, he sat with down with them on a few Sundays to talk about the design portion. Sure. And the very first words out of his mouth were, were, you have to worry about the whole size and trace size on your board because mm-hmm. that affects expense and manufacturability. Of mm-hmm. course, they really didn't pay attention to that because they were just more concerned about their transistors sure. and microprocessors and where does everything lay on the board. As and, many of right? us were as, as, as naive right. students, right, yes. Right. <laughs> so the best thing is it's a couple days before their final project is due and they have to do a show a working prototype and it's like Sunday night at 10 o'clock and it's... I get this call from them in a panic. I'm like, doctor, it's 10 <laughs> o'clock at night and my husband's listening in on the on the phone. Dr. Paula, we don't know what to do. I said, well, what's wrong? And they said, well, the company we're working for allotted them $400 for mm-hmm. the circuit board um, at, you know, creation. And they called me and said, we put out a quote, and the company that does the circuit boards got back to us. And I said, yes. <laughs> and they said, and the quote's $4,000. I said, and my husband's laughing in the background. And I said, and why, did, and why is it so expensive? They said, our holes are too small and our traces are too narrow, <laughs> too thin. And, I, and yep. my husband's laughing. I said, he goes, that's the first thing I told you when we met, you know. So, and I said, well, you're going to have to tell this to your sponsor now. The sponsor was great, of course. They're like, good learning opportunity. Learn right. from this. But, but you need to think about the manufacturability when you're yeah. doing this, right? It's yeah. really, it's a real thing. And so, again, they learn the hard way, maybe a failure, but sure. fortunately it was a failure that wasn't a big deal, but they'll never forget that. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And I love that you brought it all together with a story that contextualizes <laughs> that too, because that's always the best way to end a round of our interview. So we got plenty more to come here, but we're going to take a quick pause. For those of you listening, we'll be right back with round two in just a moment. This episode of Manufacturing Happy Hour is sponsored by Audible. Audible is the world's largest library of audiobooks and other spoken word entertainment. And as someone that's constantly traveling, it's how I keep up on my reading and stay sharp even when I'm constantly on the go. Best of all, since you're a listener of this podcast, we're giving you a free audiobook if you sign up for Audible at audibletrial.com slash happyhourpod. Now, we're about halfway through today's interview, and let me tell you, we've got some great resource recommendations coming up from Dr. Rapella in the second half of the episode, and that may or may not include a few books you can find on Audible. That's where I'm keeping track of my leadership books, personal development books, really the easiest way to keep up on that while I am constantly behind the wheel calling on customers or on a plane to another destination for an interview. Again, regardless of the book you want to download, we're giving you a free audiobook if you sign up for Audible at audibletrial.com slash happyhourpod. And now, back to our conversation with Dr. Chris Rappella. We're back. All right, well, cheers to round two. Cheers to round two. Only way to start. <laughs> So I wanted to have some fun to Good. kick this part off of the uh, the interview. When I was researching for this, one of the things that comes up when you search for Chris Rapella online is your accomplishments in dancing. <laughs> so you're an avid dancer, and I always love drawing parallels between like hobbies and extracurriculars and like the work we do. So how has dancing impacted your approach to engineering, leadership, and your professional style in general? I'm curious. That's a great question. I love dance. Um, I've loved dance since I was a very small child in the sense of I can watch it for hours. Um, I did some ballet when I was a kid. I was a gymnast, used it, but yeah. I didn't have a lot of formal training, although I've always loved club dancing. Put me at a wedding mm-hmm. and I'll dance to the very last song kind of thing. Um, to me, it's a lot about creativity. Mm-hmm. Um, so dance, mm-hmm. I love music. I've always loved music. I played instruments and I love the fine arts in general. And I mm-hmm. just think they make me use that other part of my brain that's actually really important to engineering work, which is creativity and being Mm -hmm. able to see the world differently, feel the world differently. Um, Music is full of lots of complex tones. And if you think about, I always think of the orchestra, which 
every instrument plays their own little part, but it isn't until you bring it all together that you hear the beauty and the richness of yeah. music, right? And engineering is the same way, right? You might have your own little, you're creating your own little widget, your own little piece of code or whatever, but it isn't until you bring together, let's say, even multiple disciplines and the whole system together where it's moving all together that you start to appreciate the beauty and the power of mm-hmm. what that technology does. So I think about many of our engineering students are also are involved in music, in art, mm-hmm. uh, in um, sports, yeah. uh, all mm-hmm. kinds of other extracurriculars. And we actually encourage it because mm-hmm. I'm a big believer in sound mind, sound body. So I think fitness is really important. And that's what dance has done for me as well as lets you work on that part of your body as well. Gives you the time to think, gives mm-hmm. you time, the mind time to be away from work and what you do every day and puts your mind in other spaces where you're thinking about it. You have the freedom to think about other things that you may think are unrelated, but yet, um, you know, mm-hmm. those creative processes and all of a sudden linking things that normally seem unconnected is what engineering is really all about. Innovation yeah. engineering is about, oh, I see this thing going on in this field and I see the, and I never realized it, but you know, you can actually draw some parallels. And then mm-hmm. all of a sudden you're like, all of a sudden we're bringing this from this field and bringing this from field and we're making something new that we never did before. So yeah. that's why I think those, you know, at least my time in dance for me, not only is it just great workout and mentally gives me Mm -hmm. that break from work but Mm -hmm. and i'm spending time in music and i'm spending time believe it or not the dance teachers all know when we're engineers okay because they say we're very (laughs) analytical right like they have to explain everything to us and breaking it down into pieces and how does it all fit together and we really do think about angles and curvature and that kind of stuff yes this may keep going this make (laughs) this i'm I'm having some realizations (laughs) of my own right right. now too and we're worried about (laughs) the speed and well do you really mean this angle and sometimes they're like don't be so literal, like just dance yeah. and just feel it. But, yeah, just but like go with the flow. <laughs> <laughs> but we're counting and we're counting half measures and whole measures and, you know, and so we tend to, they laugh because like, okay, I'm going to put in engineering terms. Here's your analysis that you're yeah. looking for. So in that piece of it, we laugh about it. And mm-hmm. so we tend to learn maybe the way we do it a little differently than someone who doesn't come out of that background. But but um, it just allows us to put the brain into, I think, a different place in a different space uh, and see, see and feel the world differently in that space. And that all of a sudden, and all of a sudden we kind of bring that to some of the things that we're doing in engineering. Love that. And and we talked about some of your research specialties earlier. What are your dance specialties? Then? My dance What's, specialties. Yeah. So I've been doing ballroom dance. I got into okay. it a couple years ago. I did a mm-hmm. fundraiser for Crystal Ray High School here mm-hmm. in Milwaukee. Um, with, they had a Dancing with the Stars. Mm-hmm. Um, was no intention of doing it seriously once this contest was over, but I really, really loved it. So I do a variety of things. I do um, what are called um, the rhythm dances. So your mm-hmm. cha-cha, rumba, uh, swing, um, uh, mambo, salsa, those kinds of dances. Mm-hmm. Um, we also do what are called the Latin dances, which are also a Latin version of cha-cha and a Latin version of rumba, but also something called samba and jive and, you know, some of those dances, which mm-hmm. those are the fast dances, if you can think of it. Yeah. And then I also do some of the smooth. So the waltzes, Viennese waltz, tango, um, foxtrot. And so that's okay. very different. Those are the big long ball gowns and it's a very yeah. smooth kind yeah. of dance and uh, very different. Uh, but but believe it or not, they actually do complement each other well and what you're learning, yeah. one cares about so it's a lot of workout um it is power with grace if you Mm -hmm. want to think about it Mm -hmm. that way but more so it is really about there is actually real there's definite technique to it there's discipline Mm -hmm. in it and what i didn't really appreciate that i do now is that these dancers make really hard stuff look really easy yes right Mm -hmm. and so and they teach it to me a lot of stuff they teach me in terms of physics so it's Mm -hmm. moments of inertia it's forces it's um momentum and so it really is a lot of engineering in the context of how we learn dance well i i my one dance style I can do is salsa. There you um, go. And I'm super analytical about it as well. So as you're saying, it's like, that's why I'm really weird about really trying to remember specifically what turn to do what time, what flows with what. So thank you for the personal life yeah. realization as well, too. That helped quite a bit. There is a reason for uh, for that question, though. And that's we've talked about leadership, the, the ability to fail and technology within a curriculum. How are some specific ways you're bringing creativity into your curriculum as well now? I think that's a great question. And it's it's always a challenge, um, I think, especially if, you know, faculty uh, who are teaching classes have only been trained in a certain way and mm-hmm. a very more traditional engineering. How do you help them to introduce more creative stuff into their work? So mm-hmm. 
the classes that are easiest are engineering design classes, right? You have right. faculty who actually teach still how to do sketching and drawing by hand, something that people don't do very often anymore. Mm -hmm. How do you do computer animation? How do you think um, they might do some of these um, more formal ideation workshops, you know, that people like IDEO like to do where you're mm -hmm. brainstorming new ideas and putting them up and nobody's allowed to turn anything down in the beginning and just what are mm -hmm. your craziest thoughts to some of the stuff we do in eLead where we, we're talking about innovation and we have yeah. students say, think of one of your favorite products that you absolutely love that you use every single yeah. day, right? Yep. And then you meet up with your neighbor and you you share your favorite products and then you within a few minutes you have to come up with something new that in integrates both of those. Mm -hmm. So it's like, well, how is a cell phone related to toilet paper or something like that? You know, and how do you come up with new Yeah. Okay. So just forcing... How, how is a cell phone related yeah, right. to toilet paper? Well, well, that was just an example, That's you right? to think okay. about it, right? Okay, all right, okay. That's for me to answer later. <laughs> right, right. You have to answer to think about that, that later. Right, right. <laughs> right. But, but forcing them to think two things that they normally would never put in the same um, playground together all of a sudden going, well, now we're going to force you to. How mm -hmm. might you combine the best of these two products into something very different that makes life better? Mm -hmm. um, and so I think it's anytime you put give people an opportunity to, to think differently, put them in a space they haven't been before and say, you know, we're going to give you a problem set that you have to solve in so much time. All of a sudden it starts forcing them to be creative, especially if you put a time constraint or a money constraint on mm -hmm. it or, um, you know, you have to do it by the end of this afternoon and you've got, you know, four hours to get done. Yeah. It's amazing how all of a sudden people can become really creative versus sure. giving them all the time in the world. So, um, you know, it's the projects that we assign, hopefully, even with industry, maybe giving them something that seems sort of far-fetched or some project that's way off on the mm -hmm. um, shelf somewhere and bringing it to life and saying, okay, we're giving you a chance to tinker with this. Yeah. As well as the extracurriculars. Our students are mm -hmm. so involved in running student organizations, whether it's student government or it's the Baja, you know, mm -hmm. race car team yeah. or Concrete Canoe or um, coming up with the next great um, STEM kit for outreach classes. And that's where students have an opportunity, not under the pressure of grades to really just be creative and try something different right. uh, and try something innovative. So that's another way in which we do it. Well, do you have a, a recent example, like I guess a story that kind of contextualizes creativity in the College of Engineering recently? Oh boy. Uh, let me think here for a minute. You know, we have a student who graduated just a couple of years ago who used to um, make handmade guitars. Oh, no way. That's yeah. pretty cool. Yeah, it's really yeah. cool, right? I he would was, buy one of them. Yeah, actually. he was yeah. really into music <laughs> and guitars. So he used to do handmade guitars, and he often perfected with things that he was doing in our shops. We have students who are designing robots to do you know, different mm -hmm. things. Oh, I know. I'll give you an example. So we had a group of women, a senior design team in the last two years, who um, have either because of their own industry experience or experience of people they know, I hate this idea that when women want to go into manufacturing areas, they have to wear these steel-toed shoes that are made for men, these big, clunky, ugly things, right? Wait a second. Did that come out of Marquette? Yeah, some of it did, yes. Okay. All right. Keep going. Keep going. And I just so, learned about this, right? like, And so why, <laughs> why do the women have to wear the ugly men's shoes yeah. and they don't look at it? So they got together and created a team with the intention of creating a business of we're going to create steel-toed shoes for women in women's design. So yes. women can still wear their high heels or women-style loafers or whatever it might be. So they don't have to wear the ugly stuff, but they so they worked on it. That's what they worked on. And they had help from some, um, actually, a, a gentleman that I know who's in kind of the shoe manufacturing area who helped them develop a prototype and actually came up with some really nice prototypes of a female shoe that you can wear in a command manufacturing Their environment. Instagram profile looks great. Right. I, I literally, I, I think, by the way, if you're listening, I think Anna is the name of the founder. There's if, a couple of them. I was going to say, I was just int introduced to her the other day. So hopefully if you're listening to this, you're about to be featured on the show sometime soon because I was just yeah. like, that's that's a perfect idea. That's a great... It's an excellent idea. Yeah, Sorry. there's a there, no, there's a there's a faculty member at um, Mount Mary who had the same yeah. concern. She wants these kind of shoes too. We have our own engineering students doing this stuff and still working on it. Mm -hmm. And actually, there's a number of I've been introduced through. Um, I'm on the board of trustees at the Medical College mm -hmm. of Wisconsin, and there's um, another uh, some other women on there. And one of them has gotten involved in an organization mm -hmm. of women-led um, fashion yeah. industries, right? Clothing, shoes, etc. Who are really getting it together to look at how advanced manufacturing can change the way we create women's fashions and clothing, mm -hmm. including 3D printing and stuff like that. So you'd have custom, you know, 
your outfit be customly made to you using 3D printing technology and those sorts of things. So again, wow. all of a sudden women, you bring them to the industry are saying, you know what? We could do things differently for us too. Yeah, no kidding. I, I literally, I think it's called Xena Footwear. It might be. I don't know what yeah. that company is, but um, there's a couple of groups working on this. I'll have to double check on yeah. that. But I literally just learned about this yesterday and I saw kind of just the branding around it. I'm like, this is excellent. It's solving a problem that I've heard about from my female colleagues in the industry before. I just thought it was wonderful yeah. when I was learning about it. Shifting gears a little bit, we we have a lot of people in the manufacturing industry that you kind of hinted at it before. People that are leaders in the manufacturing space are becoming leaders but weren't trained to be a leader at some point. I'm curious. We've talked about education in the context of academia at a spot like Marquette. What can leaders in the manufacturing space as well as people that are just getting into it or working in the manufacturing space do to continue to make education a priority in their lives once they get to the field and their mentality might be like, oh, well, my job is to do my job right now. And sometimes you lose that will or that thought that you need to keep learning. Yeah. You ask a great question. It's something we're thinking about a lot. We, um, we've sort of... In the last couple of years, gotten some funding from a, a major foundation to um, rethink what we're doing in the graduate education space. So people have already mm-hmm. graduated; they're out in the field practicing, mm-hmm. and they want to do continuous. They want to continue learning. They might even mm-hmm. want to sort of train, change their field, or they want to. They didn't get enough in their undergraduate. They want to come up to some speed in some other areas. So we think about how do we help those professionals? They're working long days. They're working long weeks. They may not even be able to come to campus, and what do they need? So we've spent the last two years doing a lot of market research and talking with industry um, people practicing industry about what do you need what do you want to learn what do you think you need to be doing mm-hmm. and um, we are in the process of creating some certificate programs maybe they don't have to be full graduate degrees but even workshops mm-hmm. and stuff that would be easy and accessible and affordable to the working professionals to do more of this continuing education sort of thing mm-hmm. one of those areas happens to be leadership so we're actually mm-hmm. taking um, sort of elements of our elite program and we're going on to industry now to offer um, some leadership development for their young engineer, early stage or early oh, career awesome. engineers, right? Yeah. And well, other people in company. And we actually have a, co- a company in Mequon now who's agreed to be sort of a guinea pig on our first trial on this. So it's, we're going to have like a five to seven week program where we've taken a cohort of about 25 of their employees mm-hmm. and we're doing this leadership development program. And we've spent a lot of time sitting down with company and saying, mm-hmm. tell us about your mission. Tell us about what you already do in leadership mm-hmm. development. Tell us about what your needs, what would you like to, the outcome to be? Mm-hmm. And trying to really tailor a program to them. So we want to do much more of that as well to help serve companies, particularly small companies who may not have the resources to mm-hmm. do leadership development. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think manufacturing is a great area. I, I probably walk a manufacturing floor at least once a month and I love doing mm. it. I learn so much, not only yeah. about technology, but just about the entire manufacturing operation. And I think there are such great leadership opportunities there yeah. if people would know about engineers and particularly women like I think women mm-hmm. would love this because it's not just the technology it's it's people it's supply chain mm-hmm. it's economics it's operations and like a VP of engineering there's so much you're responsible for and it's so cool and it's a great leadership opportunity mm-hmm. but most people know nothing that goes on in manufacturing they don't see it I mean when I was a right. kid the only manufacturing you saw was the beer bottling lines at yeah. Miller or Pabst right that's what, sure. that's what it's you a very Milwaukee thing it's a very thing. Milwaukee I, thing I don't know Harley right. manufacturing too yeah, that's right. kind Right, that's right. got to be in there. Right, whoever had the cool tours, right? Right. But you didn't even think about manufacturing, or you were still under that idea 20, 30 years ago. It was very dirty, and it was someone in a machine shop, whatever. Yeah. But manufacturing isn't like that at all anymore. Most of it's mm-hmm. very clean. It's automated. It's, um, it's I think, a much better environment for the workers, and the people are working in it, and they take they have greater leadership roles, and they have greater autonomy in what they do. So I just think it's evolved to such a great place that I am more of our engineers, if they knew about it, I think we'd be more interested in leadership positions in manufacturing. Well, I love the ex- I love the examples you gave there. I, I guess what are to make it kind of a personal question as well, too, what are the things you do to stay sharp? What do well I do too? to stay sharp? Yeah, I'm curious because yeah. I feel I, I think there's a lot to be learned from maybe some of your best practices mm-hmm. as well for someone that's leading, you know, a program like the Engineering School of Marketing. Yeah. Yeah. I um, So leadership books and leadership articles are kind mm-hmm. of a hobby for me. It sounds weird, okay. but I have stacks on my nightstand in my bedroom, stacks right. in my office, stacks mm-hmm. in my family room. Um, so I read a lot uh, just because I find all the books give you little morsels of things that you can be practicing and putting to practice, whether it's like mm-hmm. Patrick Lanzioni's books or Daniel Goleman on emotional intelligence. Those are some of my early books. Um, Chris Lowney, who is a favorite in our, this university around heroic leadership and sort of leadership great in the book. Jesuit context. Great mm-hmm. book, right? Mm-hmm. So those 
to have really good foundations. I also, when I was still, before I even became a department chair, um, the Whitaker Foundation held these great leadership development workshops for many of us faculty who they thought would eventually end up in academic leadership. And those workshops were great too. They were um, facilitators who ran those things for three or four days and you did everything from simulations to learning about leadership theory to emotional intelligence and some mm-hmm. of your personality profiles. So that was some great exposure to those ideas and those concepts early on. And that's what kind of got me all excited about it. So mm-hmm. I do a lot of reading in it. Um, I go to conferences. I go to meetings mm-hmm. that talk about leadership. And a lot of it's just through practice. So I take what I read and I really just try to put it into practice. And yeah. some many times it works, sometimes it fails and you have to change course. But it's just mm-hmm. a willingness, as you say, to always be saying, it's a lifelong journey for me. I'm never the perfect leader. I'm never at an end point yeah. leadership. I have to keep learning. And leadership has changed over times. The early industrial revolution was much more about, you know, the leadership pyramid. Mm-hmm. That one person on top just telling everybody what to do and everybody right. told the line and did mm-hmm. it. It's changing. Young people don't even I don't even think are attracted to that model anymore, sure. right? And we talk much more about flipping the pyramid and mm-hmm. shared leadership and mm-hmm. everybody has a role and how do you operate more in the environment and how do you give the people around you more autonomy? And, you know, I see my job, honestly, as the dean of the college, my job is to try and provide the resources and foundations so everybody else can be really, truly successful in the organization. That's my job. Yeah. And so how do I give them what they need? And that includes the mm-hmm. freedom to do what they do um, and the autonomy. And sometimes they're going to make mistakes and they're going to do things that not the way I would do it. But that's all part of mm-hmm. them taking ownership of what they do and feeling like they're mm-hmm. an important part of the organization and they're part of our leadership. Yeah. Well, I think, what is the term? Servant leadership, yes. you know, where you're really trying to enable the success of others in that case. And I know that's that's not necessarily the perfect def- definition around yeah. it, but that's one of the big takeaways I, I have from that. I'm thinking about this in the context of the manufacturing industry as well. And you've talked about flipping that leadership pyramid, and there is that shared leadership now. And like you've mentioned before, there's more diversity in the changing face of engineering, whether that's gender diversity, ethnic diversity. What would be your practical advice to the leaders and listeners of this show that are trying to have those more courageous conversations are trying to really take advantage of that diversity of thought and experience that might be, let's be honest, uncomfortable conversations are on top of uh, uncomfortable topics to address today. Yeah, that's a great uh, question. And I think first you have to do is look in the mirror and that's the hardest Mm -hmm. thing. So you Mm -hmm. look at your organization in the mirror and say, what do we see? What do Mm -hmm. we look like? What voices are missing from this? What faces are missing from this? What are we not thinking about? And that's Mm -hmm. hard to do because nobody wants to, you know, especially if you've gotten very comfortable in your organization Mm -hmm. and people all of a sudden, you hear the expression, oh, we're just like family. Well, I was at a conference once when a facilitator in a meeting said, you know, people always think that expression we're just like family is a good thing mm-hmm. but many fa- families are really dysfunctional <laughs> <laughs> that's a fair point Very and so gave point. a different viewpoint of you know some families tend to be insular and don't want anybody coming in from sure. the outside they're very stuck on their traditions and don't want to mm-hmm. think differently so that gave me a whole different feeling of you know when you all are too much of the same mindset same look you tend to you know group think and you tend to not think differently so i think the recommendation is, and we have to practice, is to invite those people in the room who haven't been in the room before. And sometimes yeah. that's hard. And for us, we have to remember that. So, you know, at least a small step I think that I wanted to do when I became dean is when our college was doing things like strategic planning, everybody in the college is invited. It used to be just faculty were in those meetings. Well, what about all of our mm-hmm. staff who are really important to the college? And they're often the front lines to students and parents coming in to visit the college. And so they should all be part of it too. And our students should be part of it because it takes all these people to make us work. And so yeah. inviting in and, and, you know, and you know how that goes. So I'm like, well, that person's going to be disruptive or that person doesn't agree with us. Right. Yeah. But you know what? You have to hear that voice because mm-hmm. When you put stuff out there to the public, those voice, other voice, those other people with that same voice are going to be out there. Right. Better exactly. learn how to deal with it now, how to yep. talk about it now, have it how, then wait until the big masses are coming in and raising all those same questions right. that you were trying to avoid. Especially in the world of social media and third-party validation, now it's more important yeah. than ever. Yeah. Well, that's great. We've covered a broad range of topics today. I appreciate everything you've done. I've got a few more tactical questions for us before we <laughs> okay. wrap up. You met, you mentioned a couple great books to check out. One of the ones that sticks out for me is Historic Leadership. Everything, by the way, anyone listening, everything we mentioned in this inter- interview, I'll have in the show notes. But from an engineer of the future standpoint, maybe something engineering oriented, what's a book or resource you'd recommend? Gosh, there's so many good ones. And again, sitting on my desk, I'm trying to think 
Well, actually, from a leadership point of view, one a book I really like is Lead Like a Guide. I think it's something. Oh, it's, I haven't heard of that yeah, one. Yeah, read that okay. one. It's a nice right. narrow book, and it's written by the the guides who lead people up things like Mount Kilimanjaro and mm-hmm. those places and and how you get every person, individual person, to be their best. Mm-hmm. So um, that's a good one, too, with lots of little vignette stories, you know, mm-hmm. of, of, of these guides have had. But from a technology point of view, wow. Um, Got to think. I've got a huge stack. Um, Innovators DNA, I think, is one okay. that we've been using in the college as sort of a resource for everybody to be thinking about how we're all innovative. We all have to bring out that innovative spirit and that innovative DNA in us. And it doesn't matter if you're doing the IT in our building or the machine shop mm-hmm. or you're actually teaching classes. How do you bring that innovative spirit into all that we do? So we're all using that book, and I think that's a, a nice one to go from. Um, and, That's a good oh, list so far. Wait, one more, <laughs> one more. Thank you, Lexi, for reminding me of one. Um, the power of moments. So oh, okay. I actually want to credit Tim Bergstrom of Bergstrom Automotive mm-hmm. uh, in the Appleton Green Bay area. Um, a year ago, one of my family members had a serious health issue, and um, he was with me at a time when um, I first was aware of it. And it was very hard, and mm-hmm. he sent me this beautiful book called The Power of Moments, and it really is an excellent book. I'm drawing on the, forgetting who the author is at the moment, but um, it really a bit is about how people tend to remember moments like they, you yeah. know, special moments and how yeah. can you do more to create those special moments in your workplace, in mm. your home, in your communities? How do you create those special moments for people? Cause that's what people will remember over the long time, not the day to day stuff that we right. all think is so important. Mm-hmm. Right. So I highly recommend that. And that's another book I've given a number of leader uh, leadership in our college. So people can think about how do you create special moments for people? Love that. I'll have links to all of those in uh, in the show notes. And I'm just now thinking back to all my Marquette moments as well, too, as we're, <laughs> right. we're right. getting Think towards, about that. Yeah. There's a few happened in those Your bars as well, too. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I remember them pretty well to my credit. So anyway, but uh, that's a different podcast. So we'll we'll save that for another day. As we're as we're nearing the end, what's something you wish I would have asked you that I haven't yet? Oh, that's excellent. Um you know, one of my favorite questions I think that people ask me is, what would you have told your, your 20-year-old self? You know, what would have been it's something? And I, I think along that lines, it is about um, live in the moment mm-hmm. um, and something I still work on as a person. You know, I think in a leadership role, you tend to always be looking to the future. Where do we need to be? What's the vision? Where are we going? And that's fun and it's exciting. Mm-hmm. But sometimes in doing that, and you know, all the anxiety that tends to go along with that too, is we forget to live in the moment and just yeah. celebrate the moment that we're in. And we don't know if the future is coming. We don't know where right. it's going to be. So don't forget to celebrate the now and appreciate the now and let your people know now you're doing good things and, um, and right. And practice gratitude. So that's something that we mm-hmm. talk a lot about at Marquette. And yeah. so, in every day, despite frustrations or challenges we're dealing with, mm-hmm. how do we practice gratitude? Remember to be, gra- you know, grateful for the things that we have and do it on a regular basis because it sure makes life a lot more enjoyable when we do that. Awesome. Well, uh, I like the moment theme that we've had here towards the end of the episode, and and all the great tips and tactics and stories you've shared throughout the interview. Uh, as we wrap up, last question: What's next for you and Marquette University? <laughs> oh my goodness. <sighs> <laughs> what is next? I don't know what's next for me. I, as as a college, um, we're moving along with a concept of something called Innovation Alley, which is mm-hmm. how do we create the people, the programs, and the spaces that allow us to be really a leader in what we call innovation leadership. Um, mm-hmm. We hear from companies all the time. We lack leaders who really understand how to be innovative. How do we mm-hmm. continue to be innovative? Our companies otherwise will fold. How do organizations? So we're starting a whole lot of more formal programming around that development and some of the spaces that will go along with it. So it's it's raising the money. We have donors who are interested and companies are interested, but we want companies to be an important part of that. So how do we think differently about how industry academic relationships occur in those models to be to better serve society to do better Mm -hmm. work as academics to do better work as industry and to be work together to be more innovative in what we do because there's a lot of disruption in both our spaces and so how do we work more together and that's one of the projects that are some of the things that i'm working on is just those industry academic relationships innovation alley i've recently heard about that as well too innovation alley will be linked up after this episode in the meantime Dr. Appella, thanks so much for being on Manufacturing Happy Hour today. Well, Chris, thank you for giving me this opportunity. It was absolutely delightful. And uh, keep up this great work. And so people need need to hear about these things that you're talking about. Hey, it's it's a lot of fun. It's always good to have an excuse to come back to campus as well, too. And uh, for everyone else listening, stay innovative, stay thirsty. We'll catch you again here on the show real soon. Cheers.
Hey, thanks so much for listening, and a big thanks to Dr. Rapella for jumping on today's show. There's a bit of poetic justice to be going back to my college bar 10 years later to sit down with the dean of engineering at my school, and I certainly appreciated all of the excellent knowledge she had to share. I hope you guys got a lot out of this episode. I definitely got a lot out of the conversation as well. Thank you so much to everyone else at Marquette that made this interview possible, from the folks at the College of Engineering to the people in the social media team that have been really excited about getting the word of this interview out. Can't wait to get some feedback on this episode as it gets into more folks' ears. You know, during the end, towards the end of that interview, I think I said historic leadership, referencing one of the books that Dr. Rappella mentioned. I meant to say heroic leadership by Chris Lowney. That or any of the resources that Dr. Rappella mentioned in today's episode can be found at the show notes page at manufacturinghappyhour.com. Speaking of resources, I want to give one more thank you to our sponsor for today, Audible. Some of the books she mentioned in the interview, like Innovator's DNA and The Power of Moments, can be found on there. So if you're like, you know what, I kind of want to check out one of those books, that's a great spot to do it when you use the free promo code audibletrial.com slash happyhourpod. I shouldn't say promo code, that's a website, but when you use that link, you can get a free audiobook, maybe one of the ones that Dr. Rapella mentioned. Anyway, thanks again to our sponsors today at Audible. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash happyhourpod. Now, as we wrap up, I'm going to give you the same call to action I gave you before. If you're loving the show, if you loved this episode, I'd really appreciate it if you could head to Apple Podcasts or iTunes to give this show a five-star rating in review. Really helps put the show on the map, get the word out so that other manufacturing all-stars can be getting this content in their ears as well. If you think the show is great, feel free to recommend it to a friend, give us a tweet or a post on LinkedIn. Anything helps. But again, if you want to leave a rating and review, you can do that at manufacturinghappyhour.com slash iTunes. And that is it for today. We've got another Milwaukee episode coming up next week. In the meantime, stay innovative, stay thirsty. We'll catch you back here real soon. Cheers. Thanks for listening to Manufacturing Happy Hour. Powered by the Industrial Network.